Well, this morning we're going to continue our series in the book of Nehemiah, and as we do, um, I don't know if you have enjoyed already the weather. Um, Today's a little rainy, a little cloudy, but it is starting to warm up. As my wife and I were walking in the neighborhood the other day, we said, you know, it's starting to look like maybe we're hopefully done with some of the winter. I don't want to like mess that up or jinx it or something, but I, I'll tell you, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to spring and all of a sudden when spring comes along, we start thinking about those projects. Have you got the lists of projects? Have you got the, uh, oh, there's a little touch-up paint that needs to happen. Are you thinking it's time to plant those flowers and do a little gardening kind of thing? Okay, we, you know, we need to stop some things. There's a great evil I'm pretty convinced it's those do-it-yourself TV shows. You, you know those ones that put it out, there, oh, this really fine, easy project, and you're going to put this new shelving on your wall, or you're going to do this new thing in the yard, right? I, I, it gives people bad ideas. We start thinking, oh, yeah, this looks pretty simple. These guys are professionals. They have tools and training, training and tools that I don't have. And I started thinking, oh, my goodness, how are we going to get this done? And <clears throat> it doesn't take me too long before I'm calling somebody who knows what they're actually doing to get the work done. We've been studying the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, if you remember, called the people to the, one of the biggest do-it-yourself projects of all time. We're going to put the city back together. We're going to put the wall back together. Well, when we start thinking about rebuilding the city, we know that the connection is here for God's people, all of his people, not just Valley Baptist Church, but every church. How are we supposed to do the work that God has called us to do? And as we think very specifically about Valley Baptist Church, we can say, what will it take? What will it take to build the kingdom here? What will it take? to build Valley Baptist Church. Well, as we just read in Romans chapter 12, here's the truth. It's going to take people with vision and specific giftings. We talked last week, really, about Nehemiah. And in chapter 2, we saw that he had that vision from God. It said in verse 17 of chapter 2, Then I said to the people, You see what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. The gates have been burned with fire. Come let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be in disgrace. There was a very clear vision. It was, it was concise. It was easy to understand. The wall's down and we've got to get it back up. There was a place to go. There were things to say. And as he said this, um, he said, come let us rebuild the wall. Come let us rebuild the wall. It was a together. It was a calling to join in the efforts together. That immediately meant that the people had to have that vision from Nehemiah, but they had to respond. But sometimes I think we miss this. It wasn't just a let's all, all hands on deck start working. There were specific people with specific spiritual gifts that were part of that body, part of the people of God at that time. Look at chapter 3, beginning uh, very first verse. It said, Elishib, Elishib, the high priest and his fellow priests went to work. And rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it. They set its doors in place. Building as far as the tower of a hundred. Which they dedicated. And as far as the tower of Hanael. Okay. Who were there? 
Well, for the people of God to actually be the people of God, they had to have the high priest. They had to have the temple worship. They had to have people that knew how to guide the people spiritually and knew the laws of God. We'll see later, as Ezra had already begun to direct the people spiritually, we'd seen uh, uh, there was a movement of God even before Nehemiah got there to rebuild the temple, to put the spiritual aspects of life back together. For a church to be a church and not just a group of Christians gathering, there have to be specific spiritual gifts. There have to be specific spiritual gifts wed together by the Holy Spirit. Notice what the Apostle Paul explains to us in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 11. So Christ Himself, not just anybody, Christ Himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, the pastor teachers, to equip the people, to equip God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attained to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Within a church, not just a group of Christians gathering together to have a barbecue or something, but when it's a church, God is putting specific people People that are evangelists, people who do evangelism, they reach out. That's just their gifting. They can't help it. People who teach and explain God's word. People who are disciple makers, equippers. These apostles, these leaders that have sort of the vision that know where God is leading, where God is leading his people. You need to have specific spiritual gifts within a congregation to be a congregation. In my past uh, time, even here in Maryland, when I, I worked for the state convention, uh, I, I got to work with some churches that actually had stopped being churches. I, they still had some people coming, but they no longer had the spiritual gifts and were no longer doing the spiritual work that God had for them. And it was time for them to, to not be a church. When we evaluate where is God calling us, the very first question is, has God given us the spiritual gifts? Because, or if he's calling us, Lord, send us some of those spiritual gifts. Does that make sense? Because if it's not there, then maybe we're not actually a group of, we're not a church. It's not about a building. It's not about a constitution. It's about being the people of God, being the people of God. And those spiritual gifts are here. Now, very quickly, when we start talking about some, okay, there are some to be apostles and prophets and pastor teachers to equip God's people for service. We start thinking, oh gosh, I don't think I'm one of them. Maybe... Maybe I, I'm not really part of this. Maybe I'm not that important. Oh, don't make that mistake. We just read in Romans chapter 12 that we are all one body and we all have specific gifts. And Paul is very clear that, that the, you know, I can't say to the hands, you're not part of the body because you're not an eye like me. In Nehemiah, we see this. Who else was there to help with the work? Look at verse 8. Uzael was there, the son of uh, Harlahiah, one of the goldsmiths. He wasn't one of the professional priests. He wasn't one of the professional ministers. He, wasn't, he was a goldsmith. He repaired a section. So did Hananiah, one of the perfume makers. One of the perfume makers. I'm not sure that the perfume makers really knew how to do wall building. I don't know if that was in their, in their wheelhouse, in their skill set. But they contributed. 
it actually reminds me uh, of some friends of mine, um, uh, Sean and Tamara. Uh, I love them. They're a beautiful, wonderful couple. I love their children. Just some of my great friends. In college, I remember when they came, as both came the same year as freshmen. Um, and they came and got involved in the ministry. Um, they helped teach some of the Bible studies. Tamara was one of our summer missionaries one time, helped plant a new church in Buffalo, New York. Uh, Sean, went with, they both went made it with me to Senegal to do mission trips with some of the IMB missionaries there. Wonderful young couple. Well, as young adults who spend lots of time serving Jesus together often do, they fell in love, and later I had the privilege of, of doing their wedding. They both became school teachers. They both became school teachers, um, and in, through some special programs. But later, um, Tamara, she was really had more of a chemistry background, decided school teaching wasn't for her, and she went off to become a perfume maker and someone who actually makes sense. Uh, like, like how, why does your fabric softener smell good? Tamara. <laughs> Tamara's the one. And, and Sean went on, though, after doing school teaching a few years ago, he took on a Christian ministry that was an after-school program, reaching hundreds of children, explaining the gospel, helping people go to college in, in some, a pretty destitute area in Jersey City, doing some incredible ministry work. And Tamara said to me one time, she said, you know, Sean's out there changing the world, and I'm just trying to make it smell better. Well, the reality is, when you know Tamara, you know that, no, she's not just trying to make the world smell better. She's got a key role to play as a mother, as a disciple maker in her church, as someone that helps provide financially so that Sean can do the ministry that God has called him to do. All of us have a role to play. I mean, it is from uh, the computer scientist uh, to the medical professional. It's from the accountant to the teacher. It's from uh, the guy working um, for our utilities. And I'm thankful for all those guys and the plumbers in Texas right now that are putting that state back together. All of us have a role to play in the congregation. And God often stretches us into new ways where we have to trust and trust in Him. We need all people to use their gifts within the body to be the body. What else is it going to take? Well, here's, I think, an interesting one. What we learned from Nehemiah, it's actually going to take some new people. It's actually going to take some new people with a commitment to the work. So often we make the mistake that we start looking at only the resources that we think are here right now. We start looking at only the people here right now. But God always has that vision for, for the lost and for the expanded kingdom. He moves us around and shifts us into places that we might be a blessing to others and others might be a blessing in this place. Look what it says in, in verse 2. The men of Jericho, this is Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 2, the men of Jericho built the adjoining section. And Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. People from Jericho. Now, these were fellow Israelites. These were fellow Jews. But they weren't living right there in Jerusalem. Their walls weren't broken down. But they were sent over. They came over to help in the work to build the kingdom. It took some resources that at the moment, the people, the residents of Jerusalem didn't have. But the guys from Jericho came and helped out. In fact, we see it in verse 5 as well. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. God sent other people to help with the work. One of the things we realize in college ministry, if you're not continually reaching out, if you're not praying for new leaders, if you're not building new leaders, if you're not doing the evangelism work, your ministry dies. 
dies pretty quickly. Because people graduate. They move on. They get new jobs. You better have a constant inflow because there's going to be a constant outflow. I've got two senior men right here. Well, they were senior men. They've been out for a couple years now. I've got two men here in the congregation today that were part of the college ministry. They were both presidents of the college ministry at one point. I don't know if you both knew that. But they were both presidents. They were great leaders. I was very thankful for them. You've had to replace them. They're gone. (laughs) The the college ministry has had to move on. Um, Still good friends, still blessings, still serving the Lord elsewhere. They've been moved around. But we didn't keep everybody right there. Boy, I would love to keep them all. Well, okay. I'd love to keep most of them. (laughs) I'm I'm just kidding. Um, Sure. I'm just kidding. Um, We would love everybody to be right there with us all the time. But God shifts his people around for his purposes. What did Paul say? For the building up of the believer so that we would all reach unity in the faith. Not unity of place. Not unity of location. But unity of mission. Unity of mission. Here's the truth. God's resources include and are often found in the world beyond our church walls or beyond our membership list. Our prayers have to be for God to bring in new people. New people. But as we pray that, our hearts have to be receptive to new people. I mean, are they really us, though? Have you ever heard that thought? I mean, you know, they just don't have our, our church culture. In, I mean, again, there's who we are, right? One of the most, one of the angriest I've gotten at the leadership at my church, and I shouldn't tell them, I hope they're not watching. Okay, one of the angriest I got was <clears throat> when they said, I, I had some ideas and we were talking about some different things. And I said, you know, that's just not us. And I said, I've been here five years. It's us. <laughs> you know? I mean, if I'm us, if we are us, then that means this is us. <laughs> Does that make sense? Sometimes we have this ideal of what we think is our way. Our music, our style of leadership, our style of preaching, our style of... But here's the deal. When God begins to move, when God begins to lead us, we have to be not only welcoming to the new person, We need to be making sure we are discipling and empowering of the new people to take on the leadership roles that God has called them to, right? If we're all supposed to work on, if if they said, hey, men of Jericho, you're not quite building that wall right. The way we want it to look, you guys are using the wrong kinds of stone. You guys are, it wouldn't have gotten done. We have to say, no, how, how has God brought you here? What gifts do you bring? And does that mean we have to make change? Maybe in the way we out, do our outreach. Maybe in the way we do our publicity. Maybe in the way we do our worship. Maybe in the way we... we because we're evolving. We are changing. And evolve always kind of means progress. It might not even be progress. It's just going to be different. God's resources are often beyond the walls of the church. Beyond the membership roles. But we're not just trying to get anybody. Now, of course, everyone is welcome to come to Christ. I mean, absolutely. We want everyone to come. And Jesus said, God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Everybody is welcome to come to Jesus. And everybody is welcome to be here to hear the gospel and be part of it and be discipled and learn and grow. But when it comes to, like, taking on leadership, look at what it said about the men of Tekoa. I thought this was interesting. Verse 5. The men of Tekoa, they repaired that next section 
But, but, their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under the supervisors. Guys that were like, uh, no, 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 we, we, we're, we're not really willing to do it that, that, no, that's not our kind of work. Or, well, I know the supervisors say you do it that way, but hey, if you, you know, that's not, that's not really us. There is a place that, as the community says, here's our direction. Here's what, we, here's what we require for membership class. Here's what we require as far as faith. Here's what we require as far as that, that the members, we do have, there needs to be some standards. There needs to be, or else we're just going to be completely scattered. These guys wouldn't put their, their shoulders to the work. They wouldn't contribute, especially under the leadership of the supervisors. They, they, they just, they wouldn't fit in. They wouldn't fit in. They were distracted. Distraction. That almost seems like the two points don't go together. But when we remember that Christ is the head, that Christ weds us together, that Christ puts... And then we have one king and one leader, and he has got to lead his people into a unity of mission. And actually it does fit. It actually does fit. For the church to build the church, we need to be praying for, ready to accept, and empower those who are new. Those who are new that God would bring. Number three. It's going to take people to build this church. It's going to take people who have a personal stake and convictions in the work. Look what it says in verse 10. This pops up quite a bit in Nehemiah chapter 3. Adjoining this, Jedidiah, son of Haruthmuth, uh, made repairs opposite his house. Did you notice that? Opposite his house. Now, there was work all around. The whole entire city needs to be repaired. But this man did the work opposite his house. I had a friend who uh, did uh, some missionary work for the mission board in Central Asia. And they were doing some humanitarian work because evangelistic missionaries were not permitted in this country. And so they, had, they were doing some NGO, some non-government organization work, uh, to help just do some betterment in society. And one of the things that he told me was they did this very principle, the Nehemiah principle is what they called it, uh, to help teach God's word and to get some work done. They were actually repairing a road that had never been repaired. I mean, it was, it was treacherous, it was bad, it was unsafe. And what they ended up doing was they empowered the people. They got supplies, but they said, yeah, we're not building the road. You have to build the road. And it was sitting there and they said, look. And they told and taught the story of Nehemiah, how everybody built the road in front of their house or built the wall beside their house. And in this country, they literally rebuilt the road. In front, each person did it in front of their own house. Now, you know, people helped each other and that kind of thing, but it was kind of a shaming thing. Like, hey, how come yours isn't done? Mine's done. I mean, the road is smooth in front of my house, and then we get to your house, and it's like, I can't even get through there. And the road got done. The road got done. We have to have people that have a personal stake. You see it pop up over and over again. Look in verse 29. Zadok, son of Immer, he made repairs opposite his house. Um, you have down at the end, Berechiah made repairs opposite his living quarters. Um, even in the middle in verse 39, next to him there was Hananiah, uh, son of uh, Selemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf. I wanted to point that out. He pops up again later. You have to have people that are concerned with the, the properties and the territories that are right next to their home, right next to their house. Now, what does that mean for a church? What does that mean for a church? We don't have the church building right next to our homes, typically. Well, I think it means that there are areas of personal concern. Do you have some? 
Is there some area that like, oh, well, we really need a youth ministry or we really need a children's ministry because I have a child or I have a teenager or I have a grandson or I have a, you know, God has gifted me for Bible teaching. We need to do discipleship. I really know that God has called me to that. Or, you know, I really love the facilities and I, I, I just, I need to help clean. <laughs> I, I, I'm good at that. And, and, and I like to, to serve and I like to clean. Or how about visiting in the hospitals or taking care of, of those who are sick. I just have that gift of mercies and grace and compassion, the gift of helps, the people who just know what needs to be done and come in and, and, and can help. Where is your area of concern? Evangelism, outreach, community service, minute, music ministry, facilities, prayer ministry. If it's prayer, we can't just say it's prayer and then not do a lot of praying. Do you have the list of every person every day that you're bringing before the Lord? Let's pray. You know, as we thought, think through this, um, it's been interesting. This sermon and this whole series was actually not, I didn't come up with it. I've got to confess. <clears throat> My pastor at the church I'm going to actually really wanted us to do this series. He wanted us to do this series. Now, I thought, Gosh, it's a little bit too direct for Valley Baptist. I think we ought to just do like a little some nice thing, sayings of Jesus. We'll do that all the way up to Easter. That'll be perfect. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, no, this is it. This is what we need to hear. That we need to be using our gifts in the areas of concern. We can't not put our shoulders to the work. God, what are you calling us to do? God, what are you calling us to do? Because right now, more than maybe ever, number four is true. We need people that would go the extra mile. Sure, you have your area of concern, and maybe you're already serving in that way. But right now, it's the extra mile. It's the extra mile. In Nehemiah verse 11, uh, Malchijah, he's one of those, uh, son of Hiram, and, and Hashub, the son of, what is it, Pehath Moab, uh, repaired another section and the tower of ovens. What did they do? They repaired another section and the tower. These guys went above and beyond. Verse 13, the valley gate was repaired by, oh, there he is again, Hanan. He's there again. That's the second time that guy, he's been mentioned. And the residents of Zenoah. They rebuilt it and they put its doors and bolts and bars in place. I actually think Hanan might have gone out and found some other friends to come back and, hey, I've been rebuilding this wall. Come, I'm going to do another section. Come help me, men of, of uh, Zenoah. It says they also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dumb gate. These were the guys that went the extra mile. Ezer, his name just means help, a son of Jeshua. He was the ruler of Mitzvah, and he repaired another section of the wall. So did Baruch. Baruch zealously repaired another section of the wall. These were guys that were willing to do the work, willing to make a difference, willing to go the extra mile. Some of them even took on the dirty jobs. What's it going to take? You've got to build the wall. Somebody's got to build the dung gate. I don't know exactly the dung gate. Is that the place where they actually took the poop in and out of the city to get like clean? Was this a sanitation zone? I, we don't really know, but there's a reason it had that name probably, right? Somebody had to put that back together. Somebody had to work on the, on the sewage system. Somebody had to do the dirty job. Well, Melchijah, son of Rechab, he was doing that job as well. The people who did the ones that nobody else wanted to do. 
So often I think we can start thinking when God begins to use us in different ways and we take on different spiritual roles, it's like, well, uh, you know, I'm teaching Bible study, so I don't need to actually have to clean the toilets anymore. No, I, I, I think we all need to remember that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, didn't just take bread and break it, but before all of that, took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist, and washed, washed his disciples' feet. John's prologue of that chapter, chapter 13, it begins with that idea, right? That Jesus knew all that was about to happen. He knew he had come from God and was returning to God. That's what John says. He knew he was about to be betrayed. He knew he was going to be beaten. He knew that he was going to go through the worst experience any human had ever gone through. He was going to take on the sins of all of humanity, be beaten, be shamed, be rejected, and ultimately die. The author of life. On the night before that would happen, I'm thinking I'm taking that night off. I think that night you get to wash my feet. I think on that night you're going to cook dinner. I think on that night I'm not washing the dishes. But our Lord set us an example. He did the dirty jobs. Even on the night he was betrayed. How are we becoming like Jesus? You see, as we build the wall together, as we build God's kingdom together, he's conforming us to the image of his son. Finally, I'm not one that really likes to preach about money a lot. It just always kind of puts me off. Yeah, it just seems like people are always asking for money. But the reality is, for Valley Baptist Church to be built, for any church to be built, it does take some people with financial resources. And let's face facts. While none of us want to claim that we are super wealthy, <laughs> the truth of the matter is, God has blessed us. God has blessed us. Now, I don't know your individual situations, but truthfully, um, most of us have resources that God has called us to steward and steward well. Notice who did some of the building. Not just the perfumers, but the goldsmiths. They were there. Uh, Micaiah, one of the goldsmiths, he made repairs. So did, so did some other guys. Between the room above the corner of the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants made repairs. People who were the businessmen, people who had some wealth and some resources, they donated not just their time, not just their energies, but their, their monies as well. I don't know what it will take. I, I remember a story that my dad told me. Um, he was doing an interim kind of pastor. I, I, he was the minister of education, I think, you know, kind of help the second person there at the church. And it was a church that was struggling. They couldn't pay their bills. They couldn't pay their their uh, their uh, curriculum. You know, when they order the stuff from Lifeway and stuff or to teach Sunday school, they couldn't pay their bills, much less their pastor or anything else. And they were thinking about. Well, maybe maybe we're, we're just done. And my dad, he's kind of a stewardship guy. He's kind of a financial guy. And he kind of challenged the church. He said, you know, guys, I think we can turn this around. Here's what we can do. Everybody give an extra dollar every day. Just an extra dollar every day. And if you can give ten extra dollars a day, you give ten extra dollars a day. But you do as God should. A dollar or ten. Every day. And so every month, you know, in your tithe check, write an extra thirty or thirty-one dollars. Or I guess we just had... You know, February 28th. <laughs> but he just, every day, just give that extra dollar. And he said that as they did that, just that little teeny bit, it's like all of a sudden, people started giving a little bit more. 
and finding the joy in the giving and finding the joy. And all of a sudden, that church continues today to thrive. And this was like 30 years ago. This was 30 years ago. You know, Jesus gave it all for us. How do we not also give everything for him? In Ephesians chapter 2, uh, I, 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 I kind of end with this question. Where is your place on the wall? Is it the dung gate? Is it, putting your, is it being one of the supervisors and leaders? Is it the one with the vision? Where is your place? In Ephesians chapter 2, it says you've got a place. That's the promise, right? For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he's laid out in advance for you to do. Well, let's just find someone. Let's just hire someone. No, 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 no. Not to do the work that God has called you to do. That's yours. That's yours. This is how we worship. John 17, Jesus, on that same night he was betrayed, uh, verse 4 says this. In his prayer, John 17, 4 says, I have brought you glory by finishing the work, by finishing the work you gave me to do. Has God placed an area of service in your heart? Is there something you need to be doing right now? Is it prayer? How are you praying right now? For not Valley Baptist Church as it is, but Valley Baptist as God has called you to be. How are you preparing for what God wants you to do next? And finally, I ask this question. What gifts and resources do you think that you bring to the mission and ministry of this congregation? If God's called you to be here, what do you bring? Is it worship leadership? Children's finances. What has God brought? What is that area of concern? What's the wall that's across from your house? You know, some of you may not be part of this church. You're exploring, you're looking at it. For all of us to be part of his church, it begins with a relationship with Jesus. God sent His own Son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He rose again three days later so that if we put our faith in Him, our sins are forgiven and we are brought in to the family of God to be part of His people, given the Holy Spirit, spiritually gifted and equipped to work within His church, within His people. If that's not you today, maybe you're listening online or here with us, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, it's that easy and it's that challenging. Would you give your life to Jesus? Say, yes, God, forgive me. Jesus, come into my life. I will be your follower. Forgive me. His promise is clear. that He comes in and He meets and makes us that new creation individually and then a part of a new creation, His body, the church. Let's pray together uh, that God would make us his people. Father, we do say thank you. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for the challenge to build the wall. Thank you for the calling. Would you show us? Would you direct us? Would you lead us? Lord, we can't do it without you. Thank you that you've given us everything we need. Here and outside the walls. Lord, show us where you're leading. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.